Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of We Should Have Recorded That with Phil and Adam. Hey Adam. Hi Phil. How's it going? How are you? I'm doing um, well. It is going. You're doing it's well? Going. I'm also doing well. Um, it Good. is a bright and sunny spring day in Rochester, which mm-hmm. means that you still need to wear sweaters and coats. <laughs> <laughs> How about there in Miami? Yes, it's pretty, it's sunny and warm. We do, and we are getting a little breeze in the shade, so that's nice. That's nice. It's not so hot. So do you need a coat? I don't need a coat. <laughs> I don't need a okay. coat. Okay. Good. I'm I'm very grateful for you because I know how much you do not like the cold. Yes, I'm I was never a fan of the snow. So <laughs> Well, you survived Rochester and now you've earned the right to live down south. Yeah, yeah. I will have to come I will visit definitely visit y'all in the summertime. That's that's my motto. Visit in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we we have we do have a special guest, uh, but before we get to our special guest, let's take care of some business. Uh, if you are enjoying our podcast and our conversations, please share, please like, please subscribe. Um, you can find us on uh, Facebook, on YouTube, and most times on Instagram. And uh, yeah, and reach out to us. You can also you send us a voicemail. Most times, you know, I the the Instagram page has been a little quiet right now. So, but oh, we'll, we'll make it. Okay, I need to I need to up my Instagram game. Yeah, we got I got we got to be more active on Instagram. But you know, check us out. And if you again, if you want, if uh, we would love to hear your voice. And so, if you have something you want to say, just send us a, vo- a voice message. That would be terrific. Yes. All right. Phil, any listener comments this week? No, no particular comments. I think people really did. There were several people who commented on um, on uh, our episode with Julia uh, about oh, how fun beautiful. it sounded. So, so that was that was all. We like to have a good time around here. Yeah, yeah, we like that fun. Yeah, we like that fun. We like so. to have a good time, for sure. And we're going to have a great time today because our guest today mm-hmm. is Tim Collins, who is a scientist at the University of Rochester's Laboratory for Laser Energetics. I never realized that lasers could be so energetic. <laughs> Um, anyway, there he leads the Theoretical Division's Integrated Modeling Group. He received his bachelor's degree from Oberlin College in Ohio before coming to Rochester to study astrophysics with Hugh Van Horn, world expert on white dwarf stars and stellar oscillations. Phil, doesn't that just sound like so much fun? Yes. <laughs> Upon receiving his PhD, Tim transitioned to the field of inertial confinement fusion, an area of applied physics which uses many of the same tools found in astrophysics, combined with high-power lasers in pursuit of fusion as a clean and sustainable energy source. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, Tim, you're going to save the world. Tim lives with his wife and two boys, and when not studying physics, he studies the Bible. In this vein, Tim has been leading Bible studies for 33 years. True confessions, I am a member of Tim's Bible study. That is how I have gotten to know him. And in his Bible studies, Tim aims for and sometimes achieves the sort of in-depth exploration which is generally avoided in churches and small groups. And I can attest that Mm. Tim is actually brilliant at fostering those kind of vulnerable and honest conversations that the church far too often avoids. So, Tim, welcome to 
Wasertwapod. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it is great to have you here. It's good to be here. Yes. And, and uh, Oh, go ahead, Tim. Well, just a shout out to the two or three listeners who are still awake after that bio. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's a great bio. It's a, it's a terrific bio. There are words I don't know in it, but, you know, there are a lot of words in the English language that I am unfamiliar with. Yeah. Um, now, before we get into our conversation proper, I, I have two things to say. And the first, Phil has heard already, and that is that when I first moved to Rochester and first began attending our church, someone described your research as solving the world's energy problems. And until I received your bio for this podcast, I had thought that those claims were exaggerated. <laughs> yes. So I am, I'm very excited for you to just figure this all out because I'm, I, really, I really need for the earth to, to last us a few more years. It would be helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. all for that I too. think we can all agree. Yes. All right, and now here's my second true confession. And that is um, for, our, for our audience. Um, Tim is... In conversation, Tim, I, I always feel like Tim is super fascinated with my life, so much so that he asks me so many questions that I, I never get the chance to ask questions about his life in return. And so by inviting him on this podcast, this is my way of forcing him to talk about himself. <laughs> Tim, how do you feel he about my coercion here? Heaven help us all. <laughs> <laughs> you tell you what, you guys, you guys are very interesting. I love listening to your your interviews and discussions. So as long as you guys keep talking, this is all going to work out. Oh, I'll interject, interject every now and then as a oh, no, no, no. We appreciate you all the more. I'm sorry, Doctor Collins. That is not how this works. You no. are the star of this episode. Yes. yes. And so now it's time for, you know, you, you always treat others as the fascinating people in the room. But in this Zoom room, you are the fascinating one. Yes. No pressure. <laughs> That's very <Right>. troubling. <laughs> got to be fascinating. I gotta, can I say, <laughs> yeah, can I say that all of, all of my understanding of of interacting with people is really boiled down to those 30 seconds when you when you meet someone like i don't know at a party although we don't no one does parties anymore and uh, so there aren't there aren't any parties in my life anyway but let's imagine there were um and and they ask you what you do and you say you're in physics and they just look at you with this this look of you've been struck with some terrible curse and i'm going to leave now <laughs> so that's I was thinking about it. So you guys, you guys, are, you, you're both in higher education. You're both, you know, very highly trained. You can do things that other people can't do. When, when they, when you tell them what you do, they look at you and they think, I wish I could do that. <laughs> when they look at me, they think, it's probably good that someone could do that. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> look at the time. <laughs> I think that, no, that's fair. Phil, do you ever... Feel that way, like we are very, very fortunate to be musicians because, really? like, everyone, like, more people like music than like ice cream. That's an actual study. Oh, wow, I did yeah. not know that. <laughs> yes, so, like, what we do is more popular yeah. than ice yeah. cream. That's a pretty, oh, man. that's pretty cool. But, like, cool. I really enjoy like the fruits of your labor, Tim, even if I don't stop to think about the fact that it is physics that has caused right. me to be able to flip the light switch there you go exactly there you go oh i'll take that no no that's great yeah i'm on board with that so Absolutely. i mean tim can we can we kind of get into you know maybe before you mm -hmm. became a physicist like what was what was life for you growing up 
What was your childhood? Oh, like okay. Um, well, uh, so um, I grew up in suburban Ohio, which it was exactly as exciting as, as that sounds. Um, uh, <laughs> oh, Ohio. Ohio. Oh. Whoa. All right. There's so much to talk about right there. I think let's just set everything else aside because there's the Ohio piece. So we're going to need a couple episodes just to really parse this all out. Um, How does see, so... one survive childhood in Ohio? Oh, oh it's very easy. It's... <laughs> uh, yeah, so I grew up in Ohio. Um, my, I, so my dad was a scientist. So from an early age, I knew I wanted to do science. and But I also grew up in a Christian household and... and uh, so I guess those those two strands have been the two things that have informed my life from as early as I can remember. Mm. When did you know that you that science was the way that you wanted to uh, the, the the thing that you wanted to make your career? Oh, truly, as early as I can remember. Mm. Wow. Now, and when did you realize that it was physics? that was the kind of science that you were called to. Yeah, I mean, when I was really young, I wasn't sure if I was going to study math or study physics. And somewhere along the line, I realized that I'm going to, I'm going to make, I'm going to make an enemy here out of the one mathematician listening to this, but physics is putting <laughs> math to good use. <laughs> that is so not fair. That is just not okay. Look, I'm being, I'm being provocative. That's doesn't yes. that get the ratings? The ratings exactly. are going up even now. Yes. We got to yes. save this for sweeps week now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> uh, well, that's, what it, that's fair enough. Okay, so then it was time to. Uh, we're going to come back to the faith piece, but let's, mm -hmm. let's talk. You know, and we're going to come back to how our faith and our career really cannot be separated. But for the moment, we're going to try to separate them. Um, and so then it was time to leave home. And what was that like for you? Oh, well, uh, gosh. Um, so uh, leaving home, going to Oberlin College. Uh, but I, I, really, I really loved that, that school. It was hard to leave home because I was, I was pretty happy at home. Um, but... Uh, uh, I, I like Oberlin because um, it was it's like a school which is a giant collection of of really nerdy awkward people. Even the even the cool people there are pretty darn nerdy and awkward. So, yes. and by cool people, I mean of course the musicians. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so so yeah, I loved it because you could you could sort of be be yourself. Right? That, that is amazing. it is great when. Yeah, when the physics major can be like the quarterback on the football team. No, let's not go too far. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know about that. <laughs> but they didn't—they didn't physically attack me or assault me, so it was, I figured. It was. <laughs> well, you're also like what six seven? I'm only six five. Six five. Okay, yes, yes. Two inches. Okay. So Tim may describe himself as the nerdy, awkward kid, but. <laughs> He was a foot taller than everyone around him. That did help. That definitely helped. <laughs> All right. And uh, besides study, what was great about Oberlin? How else did Oberlin change your life? Well, I met my wife there. I don't know a lot. Um, Bingo. I didn't even feed that to him, folks, but that was totally what I was fishing <laughs> for. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> nice. I also enjoyed, I got involved in, in Christian ministry there, just sort of at the student leadership level. And that was, that was a blast. That was very exciting. Mm, yeah. Okay. And that, uh, what you learned in Christian ministry there, that's stuck with you in your own work as a small group leader now, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How, in what ways, uh, early, what, what specifically did you learn during those college days that have shaped the way that you continue to aid others in their spiritual formation? Uh, 
Well, I tell you, um, so I grew up uh, um, as sort of a uh, an oddity in a number of ways, and one of them is that I I grew up as a, an Episcopalian, but got sort of involved in the home church movement in when I was in high school, and so I'm this evangelical Episcopalian, of which there is such a thing, but it's not, those aren't necessarily words that tend to come into the same sentence very often. And then, <laughs> and then in Oberlin, um, when I was, I'll tell you a funny, a funny story. Um, we were getting ready, the leadership for the Christian group was getting ready for uh, the coming school year, and so we decided to have sort of a we thought we need like a little retreat to cohere and bond. So I looked around and I found that there was a um, that there was a conference in a nearby Episcopal church, um, not very far away. And so I asked everybody and ended up signing us up for that. And and I thought I was going to get in there and had to explain to everybody, okay, the the way Episcopalians welcome people into the worship service is you have to turn to page three fifty five. 355 is like that's the page you go to they, they like picked picked a number in their book that you would not guess you know and uh you know i thought okay so i'm just i tried to warn them ahead of time you're gonna you may have to pinch yourself to stay awake at times and that's gonna be okay just power mm. through and you'll find it a rich experience and it turned out that there's this anglican bishop who was there to lead everybody in um in a charismatic renewal uh, weekend. And so with, like within the first night, he's, he's singing, he's leading people in singing in tongues. And, and there's, you know, over the weekend, there's healing and, and, and uh, you know, prophecies and all sorts of stuff that none of us expected. Um, it, was, uh, it, was a, it was a big surprise. And it was a, it was a great experience because uh, it was very, very new to all of us. And, um, so I would say one of the things I learned is how to how to learn from other faith traditions. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I think that's so important. I, you know, the more you can, the more you can learn. You should always in every faith tradition you're going to find the spirit at work, and look and see mm. what the spirit is doing. Yes. Wow, that sounds incredible. Um, and then so then, after Oberlin, oh when so you met. Susan, your lovely wife, at Oberlin. And when did you and Susan get married? Uh, we got married uh, um, just after I finished graduate school. So um, uh, eight years after after leaving Oberlin. Okay, all right. Oh, I didn't, I, so I didn't realize that. So you moved from Oberlin to Rochester. Mm -hmm. And where was Susan at that point in her life? Well, we spent a fair amount of time courting remotely, and then eventually uh, she moved to be in Rochester. Um, ironically, for whatever reason, she, she knew her, her type, I suppose, because for a long time she, she was trying to decide between two, two guys who were interested in her. I was one, and the other was another astronomer. <laughs> so, I don't know. Is it the University of Minnesota? How? So, I don't know. There's something... Something about Susan that attracts us. Wow. But she chose Did, you over the Twin Cities. I mean, actually, that is pretty amazing. You're right. That should be my bio. Yes. Bio. She <laughs> chose to be in Rochester rather than the Twin <laughs> Cities. Yep. Because yep. Tim Collins was here. <laughs> all you need to say. <laughs> all right. So Can then I? you did your graduate work. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Phil. Yes, and I, I, um, I wanted to go back to the whole um, science thing as a childhood. So do you remember like maybe like the earliest experiment or interaction with science that really, um, that even, you know, mm. kind of put, sunk the hooks into you as a child? Oh, gosh. I, you know, I remember reading about it and thinking about it and just getting so excited about it. I remember reading about you know, just children's books about astronomy, and I was so captivated by that. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I remember my mom and dad were in a bowling league, and they would, uh, we, we'd all go as a family, and they'd send the kids out to just wander around bowling alleys, which is bowling alleys in Ohio. <laughs> Again, this is, you're going to be 
be careful. The servers are going to be overwhelmed. But in between going up to bowl, I'd go up to my dad, and, and he would tell me interesting science facts. I remember that really well. That was a lot of fun. Uh -huh. That's where I first learned how a laser worked. He showed me uh, oh, what's wrapped wow. in a little, little napkin in a bowling alley. In a bowling alley? <laughs> yep. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, I okay, was, we can I, move on. I, I, <laughs> Your dad and my dad were very different people, that's all. <laughs> no, but but I think no, like no. that but that really, you know, the connection of what you're saying that your dad really kind of brought you into the science. He really, mm -hmm. you know, fed your interests is what you kinda of, is what you're speaking to. And I, I think that's like <clears throat> being attuned to that like being aware okay oh i can see this child is very interested in it let me feed this interest is uh is, yeah that's great so i've got a question for you guys when did you guys know that you wanted to i knew into that music? you were trying to do this tim collins <laughs> well you know that exactly you, know, <laughs> you know the listeners want to hear this so you can't not answer this when did you guys know you wanted to to go into they can go and listen to season one, episodes one and two. <laughs> oh, yes, come on. Throw them a bone. <laughs> if they've lasted this long, you gotta throw them a bone. <laughs> oh, okay, now, dear audience, this is signature Tim Collins. He lasted, I'm actually very impressed. You lasted a few minutes there without immediately being like, okay, now you tell me about yourself. But this is signature Tim Collins. He does not want to talk about himself. He wants to talk about other people. <laughs> I care for other people. I really do. Yes. No, it is, it is beautiful. It is truly beautiful. And I admire it. But this is my house. These are my rules. <laughs> <laughs> dodging the question. You're dodging the question. Phil, come on. At least you. Tell me when. How old? How old? Just give me a minute. I'm, I'm, I, I am going to agree with Adam and say that they can go, they can go back yes. and check Thank it out. You, go back and check it out. Front. Yep, I'm gonna go. You go back and check it out because we do. We, I, we. There's so much that we. I would like to hear. I would like to hear from from you. So yeah, let's let's proceed. Let's proceed. Tim, did you ever want to be an astronaut? No, you know, I'm so I'm six foot five. But you've already covered that. Dude, they don't send big people into space. It's a waste of money. Why would you do that? <laughs> send small people. It's much cheaper. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Enough. Okay, moving on to the next question. All but, right. So you, I mean, were you? you, you, were you hold, oh. hold on one second. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. But were you like as a child? Were you? You know? Were you always tall? No, actually, no, I, I actually, no, I grew very slowly. I didn't stop. I just didn't stop growing pretty much. For okay. <laughs> that was my technique. <laughs> I mean, so, that, so was that the only, really the only reason why, like, was there other reasons why you didn't consider becoming an astronaut? Or you I just didn't know, have the issues? Look at profiles of astronauts. No, I would have been fine with being sent into space. I think that'd be a blast. <laughs> but you look at the profiles of astronauts, they're all, like, really... You know, they're sharp, they're fit, they're, you know, their hair is super short. You know, there's just, they're, the Venn diagrams do not connect really well with, with you know, I'm not, it's like, they can all like run more than 100 feet without stopping and panting for a while. <laughs> so that's what I knew. Probably they're not going to let me be an astronaut. Okay, it was the boot camp aspect. <laughs> it was the boot camp aspect. That's exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> not the thinking, not the thinking part, not the uh, intellectual no, part. Yeah. Totally on board with the thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was, I was getting confused there for a while. They're sharp. They're fit. They have short hair. Well, I'm like, well, Jim is <laughs> sharp. Okay. Jim has <laughs> short hair. <laughs> but yes, go on. You got this. <laughs> Take it home. Okay, it must be that middle latch. There you go. That's it. That's exactly it. 
Uh, yes, that would keep me from being an astronaut as well. Except that I, I am not. Oh, my hair is probably short enough, but I, I do not understand. You know, piloting spacecraft. Right. It's, yeah. it's an issue. Oh. Oh. Okay. Too much fun. Okay. Phil, are we ready to proceed to the Rochester chapter? Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So, Tim, you got to Rochester. You did your uh, you did your PhD here in the Flower City. And yeah. uh, how did you how did you decide what to do following completion of said degree? Oh, gosh. Okay. So, um, after grad school. Um, yeah, well, so actually, ironically, I did have, uh, I did have, a the opportunity to go work at NASA. Um, but, uh, there was this... I knew this... he was an astronaut. <laughs> not as, certainly not as an astronaut, but <laughs> it would just laughed and laughed and laughed. Um, but yeah, I, but the, um, so it turns out there's this, there's this laser facility I really didn't know anything about. When I was here at grad school, I I didn't I, I didn't really even kind of know it existed, which is a little crazy. Um, and they do so in this facility. They um, they use these high-powered lasers to blast these pellets of isotopes of deuterium and tritium and and and, uh, and implode these things in the length of time. This is the GWIS physics segment of our show. And the length of time it takes light to go <laughs> three feet, the whole experiment is over. The amount of, like, the power of the lasers that they use um, while they are on exceeds that of the entire U.S. Uh, power grid. Um, they're really, these are really high power experiments. And so, what they basically they're dumping all this energy into these little pellets. And they get to temperatures which are comparable to that in the sun temperatures and, and densities. And it's just, anyway, so it, so it turns out a lot of the same physics happens in the laboratory here in humble Rochester that happens in, in the cosmos. And I thought that sounded really interesting. I thought I'd give it a try. I did not think I would stay. I thought what I'd do is do a postdoc here and then go into education. Um, mm. And, and and go someplace and teach, but I ended up ended up liking it enough to want to stay. It's, so there you go. Wow. I had like you know I've lived here for a few years and I had no idea that something so spectacular exists in this city. Yeah, it's like I, I want to bring you back to that cocktail party analogy that I used earlier. <laughs> There's, so there's a repulsion field, but it's not a physical one. It's just a social one. People find themselves walking away from the lab. They don't know why. <laughs> Something is wrong about this place. I feel uneasy. <laughs> oh, funny. Dr. That's Collins. Funny. What am I going to do about you? All That's right. Funny. And so you have been playing with lasers ever since. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. What it's funny. What is, it is funny. Now, do you in in do you say, you know, this like I think the parties I go to, people would be fascinated to hear <laughs> about these ultra powerful like serious. I hang around very high quality individuals, Tim. You do. You do. I feel so do you really do you really believe that people aren't interested in that kind of work? Well, you know, I think, I feel like it's, it's sort of, there's just such, um, there, so many people have negative experiences with science and math in school that, uh, I think there's a lot of shame that gets sort of buried in there and frustration and a sense of irrelevance. And so, you know, if it's Neil deGrasse Tyson talking to them, then, then they can sort of overcome that barrier and, and. And that becomes a little more interesting, but um, but for most of us, I think it, it just sort of calls to mind some unpleasant experiences. So I and I sympathize with that. I totally get that. Um, mm. you, you know, I um, 
I am I'm actually an elementary school teacher, and so like part of my duties, um, part of my job is to <clears throat> is to help uh, kids in other subjects other than music. So I'm doing a, I, I spend about an hour a day, you know, helping with a subject, and math is one of those. And in and in the kindergarten class, yeah, you know, trying we talked about this earlier, like empowering the students with the tools to mm-hmm. figure out the math problems, mm-hmm. right? So, like, you're not yelling at them, why don't you get this, why don't you get this? But, okay, let's bag yeah. up. Here is the tool. Let's try to figure that out. Like, I mean, like, have you have you thought about how to um, not just demystify, but get the the trauma? How, how do we remove the trauma from mathematics? Mm. Oh, that is a great question. Um, I Well, I tell you, so I, I, I do, um, I, my, my observation with my boys is that, um, there's, there's just all sorts of things that can sort of get in the way of an otherwise healthy enjoyment of, of math and physics. And some of it's frustration. Some of it's like, um, you know, uh, if you're not, if you don't, if you're not fluent in the math facts, then, then everything else just seems frustrating and angering. Why are these people doing this to me? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's like a lot of the same processes, you know, the the problem solving and stuff like that. People enjoy when they're not in math class. It's just you know, that context. I th- I think a lot of it is, yeah. So I I don't have the, the answer to that. I think you, you probably know more than I do. But I tell you, I've done a bunch of little demos in elementary school uh, because mm-hmm. as as my kids have gone up to the school, I'll volunteer to go in. and and do little gee whiz science and math things. And they, and uh, kids like that a lot. Um, I think when it's divorced from the mechanics of, you know, can I get this problem right? And it's more about the concepts. Mm. I guess that's when it, it becomes a lot more fun. Yeah. Try to focus yeah. on that. We've, yeah. we've interviewed a lot of educators on this podcast. Would you say that? Uh, some of the trauma, as Phil described it, is due really to bad teaching. Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, I well, I so I'll give my answer, but you got to promise to give yours because you guys are actual educators. <laughs> So I'll just I'll just say I, I don't want to like blame whole generations of teachers, um, but it, it could be that the format is one which sort of guarantees some degree of failure. Like um, I mean, so so much of like let's say you know if if music, if like in order to sing in the choir you first had to pass a music theory exam, the choirs would be a lot smaller and they look sadder, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that but that's kind of how we do physics, right? You know, you want to do physics, you got to pass the math first, mm. and the only people who are left standing are, you know, the people for whom that was already okay. You know, and so that's why, like, why, if we could make make it more of a, you know, separate those things a little bit more and just find different ways to get people from A to B, I think, I think it'd be more fun. I agree with you. I agree with you, and I think a lot of. Um, the, we, we put a lot of barriers that really serve no function between mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. students and their success at the, at the it. The, there are so many superficial things that we put in their way that's, that stand between them and the thing they actually need to learn. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I would agree with you 100%. Yeah, so, I, remem- I remember... I <clears throat> remember... Um, at my community college, um, I had a, the, the, the music theory teacher said that this class is going to really weed, is going to be the, the, the little <laughs> going to weed up, you know, separate the wheat from the chaff. And, I, and, and when I think about that, now I'm like, why would that have to be the case? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, why does music theory have to be so scary? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. 
So yeah. and I think that. But I, here's here is I think maybe Tim can correct me if I'm wrong on this. The motivation that students have to get through music theory is because they have experienced the joys mm. of music practice, mm. of like actual mm. music making. Mm-hmm. Whereas, mm-hmm. perhaps, the motivation to get through math class, <laughs> they it's haven't experienced, they haven't experienced the applications of it. Tim, am I, am I totally off on that? I think you're exactly right. I think if, if we start mm. out with some of the exciting stuff, you know, and some of the more inspirational stuff, uh, instead of just saying, you know what, you just stay if you already found this exciting. <laughs> you know, that's not. That's not <laughs> <great>. <laughs> yes. But I, th- I tell you, I think part of it is that I, the, these, it's only like in the last generation that that science education has really, I think, woken up to the whole idea that that you can learn from other branches of education. And, and I, I, again, I'm not trying to knock science educators. There have been all along some, some really good ones, but yeah. I feel like there's been a sense of here's the curriculum, get through it, as opposed yeah. to what can we learn about? You know, a lot of other educators are a lot more inspiring and they have a better sense of how to draw people in. Let's take advantage of that. And the last, I feel like the last, the last generation, there's been a lot more of, more of that. Hopefully there will be even more. That's hopeful. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. All right, Tim. So getting mm-hmm. getting back to your uh, life, we've we've covered the career side, um, and we've we've talked a little bit about your faith journey. Um, you you got here to Rochester, and is that when this evangelical Episcopalian discovered the Reformed tradition? Yeah. So uh, Susan is. Uh, she grew up in the Baptist church, and she's got uh, her her family background is Mennonite, and so we sort of took the the average of those two <laughs> to try to find something. Because <laughs> at the at the time, like we started church shopping. And that's I know. I, so have you guys? You guys have gone church shopping at one time or another. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Oh yeah. So yes. I'm yes. guessing now. If you want to have fun at a cocktail party, that's what you talk about because they're. So many weird, <laughs> weird discussions. Like there's this one, one church we refer to now as the Church of the Dog. It was an Episcopal church where the, the priest would bring his dog up front with him. And afterwards we asked somebody, we thought, oh, it's probably a service dog. We asked someone in the choir, we're chatting with him afterward. They said, they just looked really unhappy and said, no, that's just his dog. So that's the Church of the Dog. <laughs> And I really wanted to go. I wanted that church to work out. It looked like a really neat church. We went back the next week, and, and the, the regular, I guess, pastor was, was preaching, except he didn't. He went up there and he said, the Holy Spirit has told me that today we, I need to set aside my sermons so that we can sit quietly in prayer. And I had to admit, part of me thought, hmm, <laughs> That's, that could be true or it could be. <laughs> Someone <laughs> didn't write his sermon. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So I, I'm sure it was very sincere, but uh, yeah. Anyway, so we ended up, you know, the, the, the Christian Reformed Church. Uh, uh, it balances uh, just a huge number of really good things. Mm. <laughs> I, like it. I mean, okay, you know, it's it's only after we had been there for a while that I realized there were Calvinists. But <laughs> <laughs> <Okay. laughs> but. My Michelle Salvaggio is listening to this, and she's already grabbing at me and saying, "What is going on with this?" Uh, but it's an amazing church, and and it's a very very thoughtful church, and the Holy Spirit is moving there. I'm very, very, very happy to have found it. Yes, yes. And um, concurrently with your your research pursuits, you have been leading Bible studies for decades now, really. Mm-hmm. How did that start once you were here in Rochester? Oh, uh, in Rochester, I started doing it in, in grad school. I took a chance and I emailed everybody in the, the physics department and said, anyone want to be in a Bible study? Which was a little risky because you could sort of get in trouble for saying anything religious. Not, not because they were, you know, uh, hated religion so much as they're sort of, 
what is it appropriate to do when emailing the entire department? That's something you have to be careful about anyway. Even if it's, hey, anyone want to come to a Tupperware party, you can get in a little trouble for sending those kind of messages to it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's how I got started and it just sort of morphed. And, and tell me about the name. What is the, the, the <laughs> at that point, is that when you uh, named your study? <coughs> no, okay, so, so we're called the, the Holy Huddle. Um, and that's just because we, um, at, at some point in our studies, I, we were reading, <laughs> reading some commentator who spoke derisively of, of the Christian tendency to, you know, the last thing you want to do is be talking to non-Christians because that's just so stressful. <laughs> no, so, you know, just keep, keep your mouth shut. And, you know, so it was sort of, it was deriding that. And we, we all sort of in humility recognized that this, this maybe was a weakness of ours and started referring to ourselves as a holy huddle. Mm -hmm. Not a point of pride, just <laughs> not our, our model to achieve. Yes. Let's, let's get into the concept of vocation. Now that we've unpackaged your secular life and your sacred life, um, I have heard you describe um, your, your spiritual service as, a, as an integral part of your vocation. So maybe you can just unpackage how your job, your day job, and that other aspect of your calling interact with one another. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so I sort of, I see my job, one of the reasons I chose this job um, is because I knew it would leave at least some room for, uh, for doing Christ lay Christian ministry. And I, I do consider that my as weird as it sounds, I consider that my primary calling um, because I'm, I'm not going to be, um, I, I'm, I'm con I feel like I'm contributing to something valuable scientifically, but I'm not going to be the person you read about in Time magazine. I am someone who contributes and I'm okay with that. Um, uh, I feel like the more meaningful thing I'm doing is, is leading Bible study. Um, uh, I think there's, and, but I, so that said, I also think it's, it is really important that in every field of endeavor that there be believers implanted. Yes. Um, because, uh, you know, if, if you had to deduce uh, the gospel based only on what you see in the media, uh, you know, then not a lot of people are going to come to Christ. So I think, it, I think it really is important to just have people who aren't too crazy uh, who you can <laughs> identify as as believers. In that. Yes. So anyway, so that, I, know. I did at one point bite the bullet, and I, at some point I thought God's just going to be mad at me if I don't do this. So I, I did give a talk at the lab on science and faith, um, and that was that was one of the more petrifying things I've ever done. But mm. they were, was it well um, received? Uh, it was. No one was. There were no tomatoes thrown. Um, and it, there, was, <laughs> uh, there were a lot of people there. Um, so I, I think, yeah, I think it went okay. That was a number of years ago. I should do that again. Mm. Get, yeah, so I want to be in attendance at that talk. I, I would love that too. That would okay, be fun. So, I'll invite you, know, you for sure. We, we, you know, I think at some points in my life, you know, I grew up hearing and maybe even kind of believing that faith and science were you know are you know are those two things repulsing each other right mm -hmm. um and of course mm -hmm. you're yeah. and of course in your life they are i think they're together how uh, how would you say to someone who's like we can't you can't you know be a scientist and be a christian what would you say to that person oh uh yeah i gotta i gotta say it's taken me a long time to formulate an answer to that because i grew mm -hmm. up in a scientific Christian household. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know what the problem was for a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know what I was supposed to be unhappy about. Mm. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's, that, that is such a great question. So I think, I, I personally, I think, um, I just think, and, and I really think a lot of that comes from both sides, from sort of misconceptions and on, on both sides. Um, 
I personally, I feel like the this is going to sound kind of goofy, but I feel like the data lead me to be a scientist and the data lead me to be a Christian. I, I don't, mm. it's just different sorts of data. Um, but I think it's helpful if someone, if someone were to say that, I would say, well, I would ask them what they perceive, where they perceive sort of the, the conflict is, is yes. coming in. So actually I was, I have, I was going to ask you guys, right? Cause I think I kind of wondered <laughs> if you, if maybe you would come in with so I, I it would help me if you would tell me where you see where you sort of perceive that conflict uh, well i think for me you know i i think that i actually perceive in my current faith journey uh perceive the the tension uh very much the way that you do tim that the data lead me to be, to, to believe that Jesus Christ is king of the universe. Um, mm -hmm. But I did not have the privilege of growing up in a home where science uh, was not viewed as the enemy of faith. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and I think it has just, it's taken me a really long time. It took me a really long time to um, to realize that true science, like the kind of work that you're doing, actually teaches me more about the intricacies of God's creation. It, it actually magnifies my appreciation for God's handiwork. Mm -hmm. um, and I think mm -hmm. people, mm -hmm. people's, people, for whatever, for reasons I cannot fully explain, they fear that scientific explanations of the mechanics of the universe will diminish mm -hmm. the glories of God's handiwork. And, and I don't, I don't buy that any longer. What about you, Phil? Yeah, I, I really think that you're getting you're getting at something there when you when you talk about that because, um, I mean that's why we have um, specific fields of study because, you know there there are people who've you know been able to you know Renaissance men who are able to kind of touch all these different areas but for the most of us like the 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 amount of information of, of understanding of of our world is way too complex and the more we the more we dig into that the more we realize how complex it is um and so and so for me i, I agree with you that um i think it had you have to i, I think there is a a fear like you said, i think there is a fear that um to understand the world would mean i don't need god if i understood the world mm -hmm. then yeah. i i wouldn't need god and um and i think and i think like you said it's the, it's just the complete opposite it's the complete opposite you realize how complex how you know i mean i couldn't i couldn't have thought of these things you know, and the way our body regenerate all these. I, I'm not going to get into it because I'm I'm start you know saying things wrong, but just the complexity. <laughs> I, I I think it, it. Yeah, I you know that fear of getting over that. I don't want to banter, but yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I think that's exactly right. But you, yeah. but I but you know the thing the thing again, man. It's so so much good you're saying here. Is that it, it? As a child, you know, if you're just seeing the integration, of course. Like, why would you say? I mean, oh, I did. Why? This is a problem. I I don't see it as a problem because it's it's being because it's all it's always been that way, and I think mm -hmm. that's that's what you know what we have to work on. That these things don't have to be opposed to each other. Yeah. Amen. Tim, one final, we're, we're getting a little bit, we're getting pretty close to our, our hour, but one final question before we move into to last segments. Mm -hmm. uh, how, if at all, does 
the work of a Christian scientist look different than the work of a non-believing scientist? Hmm. Okay, very good question. Um, I, I, I'll tell you the first thing that, that I noticed. Um, uh, I mean, there, there's mechanically there are things like uh, I'll, take, I'll take problems to God in prayer um, and ask for the Holy Spirit to, to guide me. Um, uh, but, you know, not as a substitute for hard work. <laughs> God has never, never been so kind as to simply remove the hard work. But, um, but I'll tell you one thing I noticed early on out, which has really intrigued me because um, uh, it's led on this really amazing journey. Um, I noticed that, uh, you know, I'm like working at this lab with people whose credentials are so much better than mine, people from Caltech and MIT and, and you know, all these, all these amazing institutions, people from all over the world. And I really like that. I mean, I, it feels like such a privilege to work with people like that. And um, the, the thing is, I, I would notice how we'd have these scientific discussions and some question would come up and we'd all stand around and we were thinking about the question, we're thinking about the question, we're thinking about the question. And what's really happening is everybody standing around in the circle is hoping they're going to be the first one to think of something brilliant or insightful. And, and when they do, they think they thought of it. And I, I just, at some point, just struck me as the craziest thing in the world that they're, they're, they're standing there essentially completely helpless, waiting for something to happen. And then they will, then they'll just own it. Like, I'm the one who had that, that insight when they didn't do anything to earn that insight. That insight happened to them. And this is so I got to tell you this. I, I know we're running, running out of time here, but this is so I I really got into thinking a lot more about this because it turns out that this is something which um, if you look at how scientists have thought about how we learn, have thought about epistemology, how we learn mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. um, Newton had theories and and philosophers like Kant and Hume had theories and, and uh, but Einstein himself had theories about this and they were really, they were really interesting. Um, and uh, he, uh, so he says, this is a quote from Einstein, he says, a new idea comes suddenly and in a rather intuitive way. That means it is not reached by conscious logical conclusions, but thinking it through afterward, you can always discover reasons which led you unconsciously to your guess. Uh, but intuition is nothing but the outcome of earlier intellectual experience. What he's describing is his experience in discovering relativity. It was something which he would sort of, you know, he immersed himself in the field. But then he, he says the way he describes it, you, you wait helplessly waiting mm -hmm. for that, that moment to strike, that aha moment. And that just so at, at another point, he says the state of mind which enables a man to do in work in science, and I'd upgrade that to person, uh, is akin to that of the religious worshiper or the lover. The daily effort comes from no deliberate intention or program, but straight from the heart. So this whole, all this stuff, when this, this ought to resonate with us from a religious standpoint. Because so many times, like I'll be in a group of people praying and I'll, I'll just, I know you guys have to tell me if you've had this experience, but, um, there's like this moment when you're waiting for the spirit to move somebody in the room to pray something uh -huh. that needs to be said. Uh -huh. And the spirit's there. And Jesus is going to make sure that prayer gets said. But you don't know who in the room is going to get to say it. And that same circle, waiting for inspiration. I'm sorry, there are just two different circles, but the same God. Yeah. Um, mm. So yeah. I don't know. That's when I, when I think about being a Christian and being a scientist, I just can't help. There's so many areas where uh, it's a very rich it's a very rich area to think of overlap between the two it's not it's not the simple um there's a lot of depth to it i'll just yeah. I'll stop there <laughs> phil i think we'll need to have tim on sometime in the future to plumb more of those depths yes we have to we have to i mean this was man you're just <laughs> dropping so many nuggets right now 
Dropping so many. Like, I, I, I mean, yeah, I did. I want to say something, but I know we're tight on time. I would say, I mean, that was that's so good. I mean, like that's so good, right? Like as a Christian, we know where the thought comes from. We know where the thought comes from, right? That it's given to us by God, and even when we understand it in the book, like even when we get it that way, like we understand that. It is, you know, that this is, we have a creator. Um, yeah, so, in a way. Wow, yeah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right, Tim, we end every episode with talking about current events and then what we learned during that episode. Are you game to play along? <laughs> oh, no, Okay. <laughs> I knew you do this, and yet somehow I didn't prepare. Uh, yes, yes, I'm of course game to play along. Ah, all right, all right. Phil and I will go first, so you're here. Please, thank you, you have, for the best. You have a minute to find the news article. <laughs> yes, I'm on it. All right, uh, Phil, my, my current event um, is just the horrors that are happening in India right now. With, oh, regarding yes. the pandemic. Mm. Um, mm. I just, oh, it is heartbreaking. Um, mm. I have a student, Phil, you know her, Sandra, who is yeah. from India. And uh, thankfully her family is safe, but the, mm. they're just very frightened. Um, she right. says people are finally wearing masks there because they're finally taking the pandemic seriously. Jesus. And mm. it's too late. You know, thousands are dying mm. every day. Um, mm -hmm. Mass cremations. Just, oh, it's, it's horrific. Um, and I'm, I'm very grateful. Uh, actually, I, I know that it is not related at all. But last week, I wrote to my senators and my congressmen and said, we need to be sending the vaccines that we're not using to mm -hmm. countries that need them. Because the United States has 20 million AstraZeneca doses that are just sitting in a warehouse. Um, and I was so relieved today to hear that President Biden will be sending millions of doses of vaccine to India. So, anyway, Phil, what's your current event? You know, I'm still thinking about this, um, the beautiful community thing. And, and as we, because um, as we were, we received the Derek Chauvin um, mm -hmm. conviction last mm -hmm. week, there were more um, black people who were killed at the hands of police, maybe unnecessarily. And I think mm -hmm. one that I want to highlight here is the the death of the 16-year-old girl. And something I, I I really had to say to myself because I I like to say, I like to say you know my students, ladies and gentlemen, I want you know the the to to as a sense of empowerment. But as I think about maybe how that can be weaponized, I was watching, there's a video of a 14-year-old a, a, a in Virginia. The officer is calling him sir while he's trying to handcuff him because he, because he su suspected that he stole, you, may, you all may have heard about this, stole a motorcycle. And, the, and the, the young man is trying to, the boy is trying to say to him, my dad has the bill of sale. Will you let me get the bill of sale? And I think... Mm. You know, so to understand that we we treat our children, we protect our children. We don't treat them the same way we treat adults. Um, and when I think about the that situation, you know, um, I just like is the is a gun uh, a weapon uh, that will take a life? Is that the only tool you have to de-escalate a situation? Is that the first tool you use? to de-escalate a situation. And so, yeah, I'm going to stop that. I don't, don't want to keep going, but yeah. Mm. So. Thank you for sharing that, Phil. Mm. Yeah, boy, I really resonate with that. I feel like the last, the last four years have been so eye-opening in learning that people follow leaders. They don't tend to be moved by ideas. They follow leaders. Mm. And if the leaders are leading in, in the right direction, Go the right way, and otherwise they'll fall in the pit. And uh, mm. Mm. right, right, you're, mm. you're absolutely right. And so, false. You have a plague of false leaders. There's no worse plague. Mm. Mm. I do have something lighthearted in, in terms of. Oh, that's please. perfect. Yes. Please. Okay. So Dutch 
Dutch researchers recently published the results of a study showing that the T-Rex actually walked at about three miles an hour. Three miles an hour. So they, they they worked out the mechanics of the size of the tail and the legs and everything. They built a complex three-dimensional model, and they found it walked about. It was actually a pretty slow walker. So you, if you're walking next to it, you'd be like every now and then pausing and waiting for the T-Rex to catch up. So what I'm really hoping and waiting for is for them to remake Jurassic Park with really slow T-Rexes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, the T-Rex is coming. But it's okay. You have a little time. Don't get too worried. But it's okay. It's all right now. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's amazing. I love yeah, that. With, with the feathers, too. Like, they need to remake them with feathers yes, as well. Like yes! Yes! <laughs> that is it exactly. Feathers and slow T-Rexes. Oh. That's exactly it. Oh, man. Oh. It would be substantially <laughs> different movies. <laughs> it would be. Anyway. Their science has uh, ruined another perfectly good movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All um, right. Phil, what did you learn this week? Man, there's so much that I learned learned uh, this week. I want to say two really quick things. Um, that uh, science puts... Um, science. I mean, physics is putting uh, math to good use. I thought mm. that was really funny. And then... <laughs> What you were saying earlier about the um, um, that the integration, growing up with the integration of science and Christianity, and so that it was never an issue for you. I think that you know that's you know having having those figuring out how we have these conversations, um, so that these things don't, so they they're integrated with our children. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved. Um, from this week's episode, I loved the story, Tim, of your dad showing you how lasers worked on a napkin at the bowling alley, <laughs> and then you discovering these, you know, incredibly high-powered lasers here in Rochester, which I also did not know existed. So I'm, I'm just, um, yeah, those were fun anecdotes to hear about. Tim, did you learn anything? From your hour with us, yeah, I sure did. I sure did. Um, uh, I, on a serious level, I learned that physics and science educators need to go to musicians, and music educators, and seriously, and and learn some techniques. Because I seriously, I think there's, because you guys do, you have to deal with with students being afraid of performing. If you can get them past that and have them love it, at the end of the day then we need to swap, you know, because you guys could totally be de dealing with uh, overcoming math here. That's, that's what I learned. I like that. Phil, we have something to teach the scientists. Hey, great. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> I think Phil is skeptical. <laughs> he said you can do this without talking to them, though. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Let me talk as little right as about. possible. Yeah. Oh. No, no, not not because not. You see, I I got I got that. Not because I wouldn't enjoy talking to him. I don't want to talk to him and, and and then show my ignorance. I mean, I want to. You walk down that road, I and they mention the term, and I'm just like, okay, sounds good. You do that. You handle that, and I'm you know, I'll support you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, oh. You guys Phil, are blessed. Phil, aren't you glad that we have a podcast and can invite fascinating people on for discussion? Yes, yes. This was very fascinating. <laughs> Thank you, Tim, for coming. Yes. It was. Seriously, Tim, it was. I am really proud of you for, uh, for, for talking about yourself. <laughs> you guys are so good at this. You, you, you make. It, I knew you would. You make it easy. <laughs> well, we cannot you. thank you enough for taking an hour out of your day and spending it with us. Uh, and I know that our audience is going to love this conversation. No, oh, I hope so. They're good people too. They are good people. <laughs> they, yes. They are, every last one of them. I'm sure of it. <laughs> 
them. And yes, you have you have to come back. You got to come back. Yes. We get we have more to talk about. We've got more to talk about. I'll, I'll tell you more. All right. Well, until yes, 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 we need it. Uh, all right. Well, until that happens, and until our next episode, I will say bye for now. All right. Adios. Good to see you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. <laughs>